The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. Deb Hutton is here, former senior advisor to two premiers. Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show, 9 to noon. And Scott Reed is a CTV political commentator, former advisor to Prime Minister Paul Martin. Good morning, everybody. And uh, Jerry, let me, and let me start with you. At the Emergencies Act inquiry yesterday, it was one of those times where I was scrolling through Twitter. I don't know why I'm still there. But anyway, and I came across what the director of CSIS said, where he you know, conceded that he had actually told the prime minister he needed to invoke the Emergencies Act. And I thought, that's a bit of a game change. Well, yeah, except that weren't there CSIS people earlier who said they didn't? That's the thing. Like, so. what exactly is going on here? Yeah. Did, which one of them didn't tell us the truth? And how political is this crap? Yeah, I don't know if it rises to uh, perjury. But yeah, it was uh, somewhat of a surprise. Deb Hutton? Uh, listen, I... I actually think it is a game changer. I think it is obviously going to give the government some comfort that the results of this inquiry will rule in their favor, if that's how you can look at this sort of thing. Um, I, I am concerned about previous testimony. And, you know, the, the, the excuse seems to be that you didn't know that you could not give out cabinet information, but that's still a lie even if you did it for good reasons. So that may be uh, an issue going forward. But in terms of the testimony in the inquiry, I think it's good news for the Trudeau government. Yeah, Scott Reed, I think it's um, hair splitting that amounts to, you know, a Jesuit could enjoy, because I think if I understand the discrepancies in the testimony, it's that the last time somebody was asked, did this meet the CSIS definition for the requirement of the Emergencies Act? And the answer was no. But the question yesterday was, did you recommend the Emergencies Act? And the answer was yes. Because as the director explained yesterday, he viewed it from a broader perspective. And look, you know, let's let's take a step back. I think, you know, everybody gets caught up. Suddenly everybody thinks they're a constitutional legal expert and they, you know, are all looking at the technical definition of the Emergencies Act and when it should be invocated. Like three and a half weeks, Ottawa, our capital city, is shut down. The local police can't do anything about it. The OPP sort of bumble around the edges and refuse to take control. The RCMP have a plan to fix it, but they keep it in their pocket, evidently never share it with um, the cabinet. And then, you know, the CSIS director says to the prime minister, look, uh, this actually needs to be done. What, like, if this was an inquiry to why you didn't call the Emergencies Act, this would be a smoking gun. So, like, let's just, like, everyone take a breath and get real. This thing needed to be fixed. They moved on it. It was fixed days after. They dropped the powers as soon as it was fixed. And, you know, I just, like, my goodness, it occupies a ton of our time, and it is important because it reveals huge breakdowns in terms of policing, a lot about the interface between police forces and, and the political level. But good grief, all these people who jump on every scrap of testimony and say, see, aha, the government is lying they're up to no good like give me a break do you not remember what it was like for three and a half weeks our national city was shut down by yahoos yeah caledonia of course doesn't matter uh and that's the problem of the inconsistency of this thing that caledonia doesn't matter because it's out of the eyes of the major toronto media and the other media and uh, the federal government apparently but if if in fact well, it's I'm not such a caledonia jury I no but you know what i mean by that made any comparison at all i'm not guilty of any kind of contradiction no i so, we're talking about this and this has gotten to the point where you say, my God, therefore, someone must be lying. Like, give me a break, Jerry. That's a hell of an accusation to make about people under oath when you have a scrap of information to base it on. Uh, what I have is inconsistent testimony. That's what I was referring to when I made that initial comment. And if the... You said lies. Uh, all right, all right. Don't make me pull this car over. 
Can I finish my point? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was simply this. If that, if that one guy is the game changer, why didn't we just talk to him and we wouldn't have to do all of this? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that, or he's not really a game changer. That's a bit he, like the defense offering and you know, exculpating uh, testimony, and you say, "Why did you wait?" Well, because we wanted to wind this thing up. Okay, well, what what I'm trying to say here is that uh, if 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 it's just this one guy, and we don't care what anybody else said, then we're wasting our time. But I think making the comparison, the one guy from CISA said this, other people from CISA said this. That's important. Um, Metrolinx is planning on cutting down some historic trees at Osgood Hall, and this is all part of the construction of the Ontario line. And Scott Reed, I guess, you know, stuff getting real, uh, as I appreciate that we've already reached the point where we are, for example, tearing down historic trees. I mean, look, buckle up. This is only going to get worse. And, you know, on the face of it, you say, I guess Metrolinx is determined to be known as the agency everyone hates. But it's probably all a consequence of the Ontario line. It's like, hey, if you're going to build this thing through the center of the city, guess what? Some stuff is going to get demolished. I live near Eglinton. I watch businesses get absolutely monstered and they're not coming back and no one's there with a check to help them out. And so, you know, this is the, the challenge that occurs when you're going to build a subway in the center of a major city but you know i i personally i'm like god those trees have to go that seems horrifying to me i assume it's i, I assume it's because engineers will tell us there's no alternative if as the government has mandated the line is to be built where it's to be built okay and jerry this is only the beginning because apparently they're going to have to poke into uh, the grounds at osgood hall as well so you know, that's like an historic fence it's uh, historic land but that's progress well, yes. I mean, what what do you want? Do you want the trees and no transit? Like, is is that the choice? I think it's 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 yes. It's worth asking. Is that the choice? But it's it's interesting. Scott is right. Nobody seemed to be concerned, or not enough people were concerned about the businesses that got devastated when they did the St. Clair right away. Nobody's concerned uh, at the proper levels about the businesses that are devastated along Eglinton. But oh my God, we've got to chop down a couple of trees. It's a crisis. Um, the education minister providing a few details on the education workers' contract offer. And Deb, I don't know if we can tease all that much out of this, except if I understand his account, then it does seem that the union yielded on something that I thought they should have yielded on, which was the idea that the pay increase for the, the low earners should be larger than the pay increase across the board. And in fact, it looks like that's the case. Uh, the one thing I don't know is whether we have a three-year deal or a four-year deal. And if it is a four-year deal, that looks like 16, almost 17% for the lowest wage earners over the course of this contract. And I think that is a huge uh, capitulation on the part of the government. But we'll see what else uh, they got in exchange for that. It's funny, though, Jerry, because everybody, depending on their politics, I think, seems to think that one side or the other folded up like a house of cards. I think maybe they just arrived at a good deal. Well, uh, maybe. Well, Laura Walton doesn't seem to think that it's a good deal, but she signed off on it and told her membership that they should ratify the deal, even though she hates it. As a union person, as a mom, as a wife, as a whatever she can come up with, uh, she she hates the deal. But uh, essentially, it looks to me like the government got more of what they wanted than the other way around. Yeah, and Scott Reed, I think there was always greater sympathy for the uh, education assistants here, and they were the ones on the low end of the chain. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not as convinced as you are that that's actually a factor. I'm not sure that people make all those distinctions in their minds. I think people that are glued to the negotiations do. I think people involved in negotiations. Look, I, I think this whole thing is a triumphant negotiation. You know, once you got the notwithstanding clause off the table and the parties were forced to actually negotiate, um, you know, they, they came to common ground. And, you know, the union threatens a strike. That forces the government to either blink or not blink in terms of further concessions. Looks like they largely didn't blink. Then the union says, all right, well, by gum, I guess we'll take the deal after all and i may not like it but i hope you ratify it that's all political positioning for walton to make certain that our members do in fact ratify the vote and uh i think it's all a good outcome i mean we got that's this is why you have tough bargaining and this is why you have tough negotiating and when you let it happen it usually sorts itself out is there anything to be made of the homicide statistics came out this morning uh jerry agar 788 canadians were murdered in 2021, which is up 3% from 2020, and perhaps the most glaring thing is 184 of the homicides were gang-related. Well, uh, I don't think we're tough enough on gangs. We're not tough enough on violent crime, which is a constant theme on my show. I think that a certain amount of increase in anything is going to happen as population increases, I guess. But maybe we could stop turnstiling some of these people, and uh, that would help. Deb Hutton? Well, I agree with Jerry, first and foremost. I'll tell you two things that surprised me. I actually thought that having a quarter of the murders gang-related was a low statistic, in my mind. And the number of Indigenous women who were killed was a very high statistic. So there are some things underlying the the actual aggregate number of this that I think warrant uh, some attention. I do think, uh, when you look at the numbers, that gang-related violence is higher in Ontario, and that, of course, should be a concern for all of us. Okay, and Scott, any thoughts? Yeah, there's more than one story here. You know, in Toronto and Vancouver, it's a story about gangs, organized gangs. And that becomes a story largely about, um, you know, creating some opportunities. And yes, it's a social issue, but it's also an issue of bail and other things about the social justice, about the justice system. And when you look at where the rates rose highest in percentage terms, Regina, Winnipeg, right, Thunder Bay, that's an indigenous issue. And that is a social issue. And that is a testament to decades of failure. I want to play you some audio. This is from an interview on CNN last night with the former army soldier who decided to charge the guy who was not only armed with two different weapons, uh, but was also wearing body armor. And ultimately, this former major decided he would bring him down. I proceeded to take his other weapon, the pistol, and then just start hitting him at where I could, but the armor's in the way. And I just started, I found a crease in his, between his, his armor and his head, and I just started wailing away uh, with his gun. Um, and then I told the kid in front of me, kick him, keep kicking him. And we were, I was, yeah, I was guided. I was telling people, call 911, call 911. I was in mode. I was, I was doing what I did. I do downrange, you know, I train, I trained for this. I don't want to ever do this. I, I didn't even retire because I was just, I was done doing this stuff. It was too much. You know, it came in handy and, and I got to protect my, my kid. I lost my kid's boyfriend. I tried. I tried to have everybody in there. I still feel bad that there's five people that, there's five people that didn't go home. Five. And this, this guy, I told him while I was hitting him, I said, I'm going to kill you, man, because you tried to kill my friends. My family was in there. His name is Richard Fierro, and as he mentioned, five people were killed, but Deb Hutton, many, many more people probably would have died without him. 
You know, he's, he says his training kicked in and his instinct kicked in and he was just doing it. it. Honestly, there's only one word for it, and that's bravery, because I don't think it matters how much training you have. He did not have to do what he did, and he chose to do it. And and the fact that he feels badly that he, he couldn't save everyone just says everything you need to know about this guy. Yeah, I think that we've talked about this before, where you say, well, what would you do in that situation? And the only answer is, unless you've been in that situation, you have no idea. Because I suspect the kinds of people who will call me at my show, on my show if I talk about this, Oh, I would do this or that. That might be the first person under a table whenever anything happens. And you might surprise yourself by thinking that you would step up and then you don't. This guy uh, didn't think about it. He just reacted. And sometimes you see videos like that where, oh, somebody came in and tried to rob a store and another customer just turned and disarmed them. There wasn't a plan. They just do it. And I, I don't, you know, yes, this guy had training, but still, somebody with training might not react that quickly either. Well, just remember the cops in uh, in Texas. Right. Stood around for an hour. Um, any thoughts, Scott Reed? Well, this guy's a hero, obviously. So I would echo everything everybody else said and showed enormous bravery. But we shouldn't have to have a hero. I mean, it just shouldn't have to be that you have to count on someone with training to jump in and try to save these people. This guy had previously been arrested for holding uh, at arm cops. He was in a standoff with cops. He has an AR. He has an assault rifle. What in hell is wrong with the United States and their relationship with firearms? It's just nuts. And we go right back to our turn styling our criminals back onto the street as well. It's the same problem. It's not the same problem, Jerry. We don't have nearly the same scale of problem. All right. We'll call it there. Thank you all. Jerry, of course, will be back at 845 to let you know what's on his mind today for his show. And the Jerry Agar Show airs from 9 to noon. Also, Deb Hutton and Scott Reed on patrol this morning. Catch the roundtable. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.